0: hello and welcome to this audio edition of Philip Pusher's Program Notes for upcoming concerts by the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. I'm Rich Caprola, and concerts by the CSO on Thursday, November 18th through Sunday, the 21st of November, feature guest conductor Giancarlo Guerrero. The program includes the Carlos Chavez orchestration of a Chacon by Dietrich Buxtehude, A a concerto for Bandoneon and Orchestra by Astor Piazzolla featuring bandionist Daniel Binelli, and Beethoven. Symphony Number no. 1. Here are program notes by guest annotators Casey Link and Kristen Wenland on the Piazzola Aconguanga Concerto, a work lasting about 25 minutes. From concert halls to nightclubs, composer and bandonionist Astor Piazzola has become synonymous with the tango. He progressed the art form from a danceable genre of its golden age, the 1930s through the 1950s, to avant garde music for listening. His music, known as Nuevo Tango, combines elements of tango, jazz, and classical music, making it accessible and intriguing to musicians and listeners across diverse musical spectrums. During his lifetime, he sought to capture North and South American and European markets with his performances. Yet, he has perhaps achieved his greatest fame posthumously, as international musicians and audiences have become enamored of his compositions. Piazzolla was born in the Argentine beach city of Mar del Plata to Italian immigrants. To seek a better life, his family moved to New York City in 1925, and it was there that the seeds of tango were first planted. At the age of eight, Piazzolla began playing the bandoneon, the expressive instrumental voice of tango. During that time, he also met and worked with the great tango singer and movie star, Carlos Gardel, who lived until 1935. In 36, the family relocated to Argentina, after which Piazzolla, at 18, moved to Buenos Aires to pursue a career in tango. After working with a few orchestras without pay, he landed a position with the orchestra of Anibal Troyo, who lived until 1975, where he played alongside the Bandonian master and later arranged for his ensemble. Captivated by classical music, Piazzolla also studied with the famous Argentine composer Alberto Ginastera, this classical instruction eventually led him to write his orchestral work, Sinfonia Buenos Aires, which won a prize in 1953 that allowed him to study in Paris with Nadia Boulanger, the renowned composition pedagogue of Aaron Copland and Philip Glass. The famous story goes that, after looking at numerous scores, Boulanger asked Piazzolla to play the music of his country. He then performed his tango Triunfal*, and she replied, Astor This is beautiful. Here is the true Piazzolla. Do not ever leave him. In 1955, Piazzolla embarked on a journey to find his artful expression in tango. Over the next few decades, he experimented with various ensemble formations, changing instrumentation as well as the musical ratios of tango, jazz, and classical music. Yet he struggled with success because, as Piazzolla himself stated, in Argentina... You could change anything except the tango. The late 1970s marked a shift to Piazzolla's more mature style and the beginning of the international public's positive reception of his music. In 1978, Piazzolla formed his second quintet, consisting of bandoneon, violin, electric guitar, piano, and bass. This group toured the world for 11 years, including concerts at the Montreux Jazz Festival and New York City's Central Park, and created two notable recordings, Tango Zero Hour and La Camorra. It was in the midst of touring with the second quintet at the height of his career that Piazzolla premiered and later recorded Okongongwa. Named by the publisher for the highest Andean peak in the Americas, which towers to a summit of 22,838 feet in the western province of Mendoza, Argentina, Akungangwa brought Pizzola's creative genius into the symphonic realm. Since its December 1979 premiere in Buenos Aires featuring the composer as bandoneon soloist, the work has become a staple concert piece. A devilishly difficult instrument to play, the bandoneon has 71 buttons, 38 in the treble range, the right side, and 33 in the bass, the left side. With a pitch range from C2 to B6, the keys are scattered in pitch order, and most of them change pitches on the keyboard between opening and closing the bellows. Notably, in Akangangwa, Piazzolla omitted wind instruments which could interfere with the sound colors of the bandonian soloist. Akangangwa embodies many quintessential hallmarks of Piazzolla's compositional style and technique, including terse melodic and rhythmic ostinatos, repeated patterns, stratified in layers of the texture, Tight, motivic and phrase development, colorful harmonic shifts within an essentially tonal language enriched with dissonant added notes and extended chords, dramatic contrasts in key, texture, tempo and dynamics, and driving arrastre from the Spanish verb arrastrar, meaning to drag, a standard tango anticipatory sliding technique that pushes to a punctuated downbeat of a measure. The first movement, Allegro marcato, opens with Piazzolla's signature three three two, a tango rhythm that articulates the eighth notes in each measure of four four into this grouping, both in the solo melodic line and the rhythmic accompaniment in the lower strings. After the sparkling introduction, the bandoneon sounds the movement's main rhythmico, rhythmic theme, with its two- and three-note melodic groups sharply articulated by accents, staccatos, and ornaments. The contrasting cantando, singing theme, with its smooth and fluid lines in fraseo, a style where the performer treats the melody in a flexible, elastic, and loose rhythmic manner relative to the beat, showcases the intensely expressive sound of the bandoneon. To further highlight the instrument, Piazzolla inserts two cadenzas for the bandoneon soloist, the first of which indicates in the score to be improvised in tempo, harmony, and melody, the most similar to the music of Buenos Aires, a term Piazzolla used to describe his nuevo tango. Piazzolla shapes his second movement, moderato, into a milonga lenta, this slow and expressive tango style, another Piazzolla hallmark, incorporates a slow, sometimes syncopated, habanera rhythm accompaniment and provides the scaffolding for the soulful bandonion melody and the violin and cello counter The third movement, presto, is cast in a loose rondo form, the recurring opening rítmico theme first sounds in the strings followed by the bandonion solo supported by strident marcato, a rhythmic tango accompanimental pattern that literally marks the beat in the strings. Piazzola's melancholico finale over a pulsating descending bass line recalls his famous tribute to his father, Adios Nonino. The final section, pesante, gradually builds over a repeated two-bar syncopated motif punctuated by the tango yetes, percussive instrumental tango techniques, tambor, drum, and latigo, whip, in the strings, as the work drives to a towering quadruple F conclusion. Program notes by Casey Link, independent scholar and pianist in Southern California, and Kristen Wenland, faculty member in the Department of Music at Emory University in Atlanta, on music by Astor Piazzolla, his concerto for bandoneon and orchestra titled A And now on to Beethoven's Symphony No. 1, a work lasting about 25 minutes. This is a young man's music. As the first symphony by the greatest symphonist who ever lived, one might expect clues of the daring and novelty to come. Since it was written at the turn of the century and premiered in Vienna, the great musical capital in eighteen hundred, one might assume that it is with this work that Beethoven opened a new era in music. But in fact, the This symphony belongs to the 18th, not the 19th century. It honors the tradition of Mozart, dead less than a decade, and Haydn, who had given Beethoven enough lessons to know that his student would soon set out on his own. The First Symphony is a conservative work by the least conservative of composers. Just two years later, Beethoven proudly announced that he would follow a new path. Alexander Thayer, who wrote the first significant book on Beethoven, saw 1800 as a turning point in the composer's career. It is the year in which, cutting loose from the pianoforte, he asserted his claims to a position with Mozart and the still living and productive Haydn in the higher forms of chamber and orchestral compositions, the quartet and the symphony. It was a bold step for a young composer, Beethoven wasn't yet 30, to write his first symphony when Haydn's final work in the form was just five years old and Mozart's Jupiter, a scant 12. But this was perhaps the best and certainly the riskiest way for Beethoven to stake his claim to their territory. Beethoven had moved to Vienna in 1792, the year after Mozart died, and in the famous words of Count Waldstein, he was to receive Mozart's spirit from Haydn's hands. Beethoven learned plenty from the example of Haydn's music, but the actual lessons he had with the master didn't go well, and Beethoven quickly understood that if he was to play a role in this great Viennese tradition, he would have to carve out a place for himself, all by himself. Beethoven began to sketch a symphony in C major in 1795, and he was still struggling with it during a concert tour to Prague and Berlin the following year. But Beethoven apparently wasn't ready to reckon with this great form yet, and he turned his attention primarily to the piano sonata, which became the vehicle for his most advanced ideas. In 1799, the year he composed one of his real watershed works, the Patatique Sonata, Beethoven decisively returned to the idea of writing a symphony. The C major symphony he finished early in 1800 is the first of eight he would compose in 13 years. On April 2, 1800, Beethoven held a concert in Vienna's Burgtheater, the first he would give for his own benefit in this opinionated and difficult music center. In a gesture of savvy public relations, he included a symphony by Mozart and two numbers from Haydn's creation on the program to set the scene for his own music. Some of it new, like the septet, that quickly became one of his most popular pieces, and this first symphony. Sadly, inexplicably, the Viennese critics ignored the performance, but the Leipzig correspondent called it truly the most interesting concert in a long time. Beethoven's first symphony is scored for the orchestra of Haydn and Mozart, including the clarinets that weren't yet a standard feature and written in the conventional four-movement form he would soon transform. Although it's a surprisingly cautious work from a bold and sometimes brazen composer, it's neither faceless nor unaccomplished, and the critics of the time found it neither timid nor derivative. Beethoven begins, slyly, with the kind of cadences that normally end a work, stated in the wrong key, or rather, searching for the right key. Haydn had used a similar trick in his string quartets, but never to open a symphony. Beethoven liked the effect so much that he did something comparable in his next work, The Creatures of Prometheus. The entire movement sparkles with genuine energy and is particularly colored by the brilliant and inventive writing for winds. One critic complained that it sounded more like a wind band than an orchestra. The slow movement is charming and graceful. It is slight as sometimes suggested only by the composer's own later standards. Beethoven calls the next movement a minuet, but both his tempo, Allegro, Molto e Vivace, and a very swift metronome marking argue that this is really the first of his true symphonic scherzos. Haydn had begun to write third-movement scherzos in his string quartets, but he didn't transfer that crucial development into his symphonies. The finale, with its humorous, slow introduction, is as playful and spirited as anything in Haydn. It is not yet the heroic or the revolutionary Beethoven, but it proves brilliantly that the student had learned his teacher's lessons well. Program notes by Philip Pusher on Beethoven's Symphony No. 1. My name is Rich Caparola. Thanks for listening.